Hey, welcome to ACF Church, and we're so glad that you're with us watching this message online. And our hope is that it would encourage you to be more like Jesus and walk closely with Him as an apprentice of Christ. And our hope is to give away all of these resources for free as much as possible. It takes a lot of time and energy and people to make that happen. And if you'd like to support the mission of God financially for ACF Church, you can go to acfak.org and you can give there. Now enjoy the Word of God proclaimed. You know, it's funny, one of the things that I've stopped enjoying at this stage of life is birthdays. I, I don't really love birthdays anymore because birthdays remind me that I'm getting older. And if there's one thing I'm not that excited about in this season of life, it's the fact that I'm actually getting older. And I would say in our culture, in our world, we are obsessed with youth. We are a forever young culture, whatever we can do to stay young. And people spend tens of billions of dollars every year on surgery just to look a little bit younger or to feel a little bit younger. And you know, our forefathers, they actually celebrated being old. And most of the pictures you see of the presidents that came many, many generations before us, they have silver, long, flowing hair. And, and for the most part, that hair wasn't theirs. They, they would wear a wig just to look like they were a few years older and more mature because they realized that there are some things that come with age, some maturity, some growth, some credibility that you gain because you've had some experience in life. You know, even as a father, I see it. My kids, they don't want to grow up. They love being young. They love having fun. They love a life without responsibility. And I love that about them, but sometimes... Sometimes they just need to act a little bit older, right? Sometimes they just need to grow up. And, and my little boy Grayson, oh man, he loves being eight years old. He loves just living it up as an eight-year-old. And for the most part, he's in a great mood, wakes up in the morning excited about his day. But all it takes is one moment, one thing, one situation to throw him off. And then all of a sudden, he hits a wall. I don't know if you're kids, if you have kids, if they ever hit a wall, but Grayson will hit a wall and everything changes.
You know, I was hanging out with my dad the other day and uh, he was getting some equipment ready for hunting season. It's one of the things we love to do together is we love to go hunting. And the things that he was purchasing, it was interesting, he's trying to figure out what he needed for equipment and he said this statement that really hit me, he said, you know, it's only got to last another 10 years. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, well, honestly, you know, I'm getting a little bit older and, and I'm just coming to this realization that uh, the equipment that I have doesn't have to last forever because I'm not going to last forever. And that's a hard thing to deal with as a son to just work through the reality that, you know, your parents aren't going to live forever. And, but it made me ask this deeper question. I think it's the kind of question that we all need to ask. And it's, it's the question of what's the difference between a life that's wasted and a life that's well-lived? You know, a, a friend of mine told me once that you feel like your life is going about the speed of your age. And so my daughter, she's 13. And at 13, she feels like life is going about 13 miles an hour. I'm 37, life feels like it's going about 37 miles an hour. For my dad, who's 65, he feels like life is going about 65 miles an hour. And so he's thinking of what kind of legacy he's going to leave on this earth. And certainly at this point in his life, he's embraced the fact that he will not be forever young. And there's a difference between a life that's been well-lived and a life that's wasted. You know, physically, we are all aging. But spiritually speaking, I would say that most Christians, especially here in the West, we remain forever young. We don't really want to grow up. We don't really want to move on, or we don't realize that at some point in our lives, we just hit a wall and something stopped us from moving forward as a believer in Jesus. I want to read this for you. This is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. It says, We are not meant to remain as children at the mercy of every chance wind of teaching and the jockeying of men who are expert in the craft presentation of lies. But we are meant to hold firmly to the truth in love and to grow up in every way into Christ, the head. You see, most of us have a plan for life. Most of us have a plan for education. We're achieving goals. We're going after the next best thing. We're building our families and our portfolios. And for most of us, we just sort of skim across the surface of life. And it works until the day that it doesn't. And what I want to talk to you today about is something called the, the critical journey that we want to go through. This is the journey of growing in our faith. And over the next few weeks in this series, Forever Young, we're going to explore what it means to not waste your life, what it means to live a life well lived, whether it be in our ages of our youth or as we're growing older, even as we're facing death. And, and this series is going to lead us all the way into Easter as we talk about what it looks like to live life after death. What does resurrection really look like for us? And so here you are today, you're in church, you must have gotten an insert at some point here as you came in the door. If you didn't, I want you to download the ACF Church app and the, the insert's going to be there. But I want to walk with you real quick through the stages of your journey 
over many generations, people have talked about how we have these stages of spiritual growth, these stages that we walk through. And and although as people, we all walk these stages differently and it's not super linear as human beings, we walk different lives, but these stages are gonna help you to understand where you are. Because what I've realized as a pastor is one of the things that keeps people from moving forward is they simply don't know where they're at in their stage of discipleship. And this is a critical journey that you must go on, that I must go on, so that we might move forward. In her book, The Critical Journey, Janet Hagberg describes six different stages in our apprenticeship to Jesus. These stages that we walk through to grow as disciples of Christ. And so we're going to walk through these stages, but what we've done as a church is also involve the stages of involvement with your local church. Uh, One of the walls that I ran into early on uh, in my journey with Jesus was just struggling with the local church. At one point, I would say that I was de-churched. I really didn't want anything to do with Christianity or Christians in general. And so it's funny that, you know, God takes you where you don't know you're going to go. And I became a pastor one day. But I don't know where you're at, but you're somewhere on this journey, both with God and with the church. And as we understand where we are, we're going to begin to understand how to move forward. And so grab your insert, follow along with me. I'd love for you to think about where am I today? Where am I at in my journey with Jesus? So stage one, she calls the recognition of God. And this is really the beginning. I would say a lot of our friends and family members might not be at this place yet where they recognize that there's a creator, that there's someone that's out there, that it's greater than they are, that the world doesn't revolve around us as humans, but it actually revolves around an omniscient, omnipresent, all-powerful God that created us with a purpose. And so stage one is recognition with God. And, and this stage is marked by innocence and, and openness and this fresh newness of belief that there is someone out there that knows you, that loves you, that created you with a purpose. There's an awe and even a, a sense of need for a savior. This is where it all begins. The point when we come to the end of ourselves and go, I can't fix what's wrong within me. I need someone to save me. And when it comes to church, I would call this phase, this is the phase of being interested. Like you're interested in church. Maybe it's why you came today. You just showed up out of nowhere because you wanted to find out what was going on here on Brooks Loop. Why are people coming in the doors? Maybe you got invited to an outreach event or something like that. And so you're just sort of interested in church, interested in God. Stage two is called the life of discipleship. And this is where we find a leader or a system or a church where we start to attach ourselves to it and begin to grow from it. And maybe for you, this is a stage where you are attending ACF. You've moved from interested in church to now you would say, no, I'm I'm attending the church. I'm consistently there. And at this stage, the life of discipleship, you are young in your faith, but you're growing. You're seeking information. You're listening to the people around you talk about God. And he's gone from some kind of distant being to being someone who's personal, someone who's near you and near others. And you're beginning to hear stories about how he's at work in the lives of people around you. Stage three, we'd call the productive life. This is when we begin to know our unique calling in the church and in the world. And and we see the power of doing things for God and and being part of the greater mission of the church. And and, in this stage, I would call leaning in. 
uh, you've moved from interested in church to attending church. Now I'm really leaning in at church and I'm, I'm part of things here at ACF. For you, it might be simply moving from a consumer to a contributor. You've joined a team. You've, you've joined a serve team. You're starting to be involved in one way or another. And this season, it works for us until we get tired or we lose our vision. You know, at some point, I think it's easy to feel like you're being maybe used by a religious institution or uh, you become jaded about church or about your impact. I think we all walk through that. And at some point, that the doing for God is just not enough. We realize that we weren't just simply meant to do for God. We were meant to be with God. And there's this collision of those realities that I think we all walk through at some point, which leads us into stage four. Stage four is the journey inward. It's the journey inward. It's, it's time for a new operating system. It's a season of angst and, and, and some, some uncertainty when it comes to church, when it comes to, to God. You know, there comes a point where all of us realize that what we used to believe about the world and about ourselves, it, it just doesn't really work anymore. You know, it's kind of like I can't upload the old Wolfenstein 3D from my Windows computer back in the day onto my new Apple MacBook Pro. It just doesn't work. There's a completely different new operating system. They don't work well together. Maybe you've got some old apps on your phone and you get a new phone and they don't work. They need to be updated. And that's the same thing for the way that we believe about God and believe about the world. There's an updating that has to happen at some point. And many times it happens over and over again. We realize that what we knew was, was maybe right, but it wasn't complete. Or maybe it was wrong and it needs to change. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing to admit, man, I, I believed something about God when I was young that isn't right anymore. And that's okay to acknowledge. Uh, for me as a pastor, I have to be willing to acknowledge that. I don't know everything about God. And I'm on a journey just as much as you're on a journey. And so stage four, the journey inward, is all about rebuilding your operating system and, and, and finding new ways of thinking and seeking out wisdom and going deeper in your faith. Maybe understanding some theology. Maybe you want to take a Bible class and understand the scriptures a little deeper. Maybe you're reading and studying in a new and more profound way. And, and so you're understanding God and theology in a deeper way. And this season and this stage is so important. It's important that we go inward, but sometimes it's frustrating. Sometimes it leads to angst in our lives. So up to this point, when it comes to church, we've been interested, and then we've been attending the church, and then we've been leaning in at church, and then we've started feeling some angst. And this is okay. It really is okay. If you're struggling sometimes with being a Christian or being at the church or part of a church, that's, a, that's an okay thing to do as long as you're willing to be in community and to work through your struggles. Because stage four, what it leads to is the wall. The wall is really, it's a crisis. And, and for most of us, we walk through a wall at some point or another. Like I said, my little boy, sometimes everything's going well until he hits the wall. And I think all of us are sort of like that. That it can take something simple as a, a flat tire on the way home from work to cause us to walk into a downward spiral where all of a sudden nothing makes sense anymore. We're frustrated with who we are and where we're going and the way that we see the world. This is a crisis of life. But what I want you to know is that crisis creates movement. Remember that crisis creates movement. Sometimes the thing that we just want to get over or around is the thing that God wants us to get through. 
And that's the thing about a wall, any kind of wall. Normally walls, it takes some time to build a wall, right? There's been some bricks that have been added over the years. If you've ever seen pictures of the Great Wall of China, it is huge. It is huge and took years to build that wall. And I would say in your life, there's some walls. There are some struggles. There are some things that maybe brick by brick you have added to the wall or someone else has. And at this point, it's something that you can't simply get around. You can't ignore it. You can't deny it. The only option when you confront a wall or crisis in life is to move through it. You see, at the wall, we're forced to deal with our ego, to deal with our guilt, our shame, our intellectualism, our pride, our success, our faith, our good doctrine, for better doctrine, right? Uh, our belief about Jesus, it, it forces us to deal with who we are and what we've believed over the course of our life. Because I believe that no matter how far you've come, that God has something better for you. No matter how far you've moved in life, that there are new things that God wants to move you into. There's always something next. There's a next step for you. And for most of us, we will never experience the best God has for us until we move through the wall. You see, here's the reality, and it's that crisis creates movement. Whether it's a big crisis, it's a moment that you'll remember for the rest of your life, or something as stupid as a flat tire, it creates movement in your life. And I believe God wants to speak to us through big and small crises. You see, 130 years ago, this guy named A.B. Simpson split our decision to follow Jesus and, and our salvation into two specific moments. And the first was, like we said earlier, this moment of recognition of God, that God exists, he's real, that he wants to know us. And it begins maybe at a young age with a little bit of information. You may not know completely who God is or what you're getting yourself into. Just like the disciples, when Jesus said, come follow me, they had no idea what they were getting themselves into. In fact, uh, I think sometimes if they knew the whole story, they might have said, I'm going to go back to fishing. And for you, you might not have known much about God when you said yes to Jesus. For me, I, I prayed to receive Jesus into my heart as a young kid at seven years old at a camp in upstate New York. And that was a moment of, of salvation. I think it was real. But then the second moment that matters that I think everyone has to walk, to, walk through is the, the moment of crisis. Uh, A.B. Simpson believed that we all have to walk through a crisis moment, that it's the moment that we have to decide, do we love God? Are we willing to make him the primary purpose and focus of our lives? And in many ways, during that season of crisis, we're going to have to choose between God and something else. For me, my moment of crisis was 13 years old when I had to decide, do I love God or my music more? And as a musician, it was everything to me to play the guitar. That was everything about who I was. And yet I knew God was saying, what do you love most? And now I had an understanding of God at a young age, but this was the moment I had to choose. And that is a moment of crisis for all of us. Yours may look different than mine, but you're going to have to walk through it. You know, most of our brothers and sisters across the globe, they walk through crisis daily. Uh, the recent statistic that I read is that 80% of Christians globally are being persecuted. 80%, you believe that? So we are in the 20% of the global church that does not experience crisis from a religious perspective daily. And, and yet when we think about persecution, most of us think it's something to be avoided, right? We want to get people away from persecution. If, if some of you were on a mission trip somewhere 
and you were being persecuted for your faith, we'd try to get a bunch of Black Hawk helicopters in there to rescue you. We'd try to get you out of there as quickly as possible. And yet across the globe, when our brothers and sisters are being persecuted, they think about it completely different than us. In fact, they see crisis at some points as a gift. And it's interesting, as you read the letters of Paul, that's how he saw crisis and persecution. He saw it as a gift. He felt honored that he could walk through a wall for Jesus, that he could walk through a crisis for Jesus, and that because of going through those walls and and that crisis, that the gospel was actually proclaimed and expanded through those crises. And so 80% of Christians are being persecuted. And the author of this book, he was actually talking about an interaction with a a man who is in a a people group that that are being persecuted. And one thing he noticed about these people is that they weren't talking about their persecution. Nobody said anything about it. And we're talking real persecution. They are risking their lives, their jobs. They're risking their, their families. They're being excommunicated because of their faith in Jesus. And so he sat down with this guy and he said, hey, why don't you talk about your persecution? And the man's response was, do you wake your son up in the morning and ask him to come outside and see the sunrise? And the guy thought for a second and he thought, no, I've I've never done that before. And the man he was talking to said, well, it's because it happens every day. And for these people, persecution is a daily thing. It's part of their life. It's the air they breathe and the water they swim in. It is what they experience all the time. So for them, it's just part of what it means to be a Christian. And what if for us as the Western church, we've incorrectly believed something about persecution, about crisis, about the wall? What if the wall and the crisis that we've been running from is exactly the route that God wants to take us through to bring us to what's next? So to move through crisis into the deeper life that I think God has for all of us, it's going to take accepting your limitations with grace, with peace, and with dependence on the Holy Spirit to guide you. At some point, we simply go, God, we need your grace, and we begin to move on. I believe that we begin to move on when we've pursued a school, a career, a life based on my love for myself, but now all of a sudden, my life is based on my love for God. No longer is life focused on me, but it's focused outward. All of a sudden, we start to want God's purposes instead of our own purposes. And and we walk through the wounds, right? That wound from your old church, that wound from your childhood, that thing someone said to you at some point, that wound from a parent, a mom or a dad that you're carrying around with you. You've spent your whole life dealing with that. It's affected you. And yet at this point, this crisis has caused you to walk through the wound. As you walk through the wound, you release God from his box and you start to let him into your life in some new and profound ways. You you look beyond the way you've seen God as as small and maybe less significant in your life. And, And now you see him as the driving force behind everything you do, which leads us to the next stage. It's stage five. It's called the journey outward. And in your season in church, whatever season you may find yourself in, you've moved from being angsty to now being a kingdom influencer. I mean, this is the point where you start to see that that life is found not in building a system that surrounds you, but a system that looks outward. And you become a selfless person. I was reading a book by David Brooks uh, called The Second Mountain. And I encourage you to read it. It's a great book. Just kind of encouraging people to uh, see 
what it would be like to live a life that's focused outward. And he talks about how there are first mountain people, people who are building their own lives and their own experiences, and they're just climbing this mountain for themselves. And then at some point you walk through the valley, you walk through the crisis, and then you climb the second mountain. And second mountain people are focused on serving. They're focused on loving others and loving God. They've realized their deepest questions about life can't be answered in and of themselves. They have to look outward to be able to understand themselves and their purpose in the world, which leads us to stage six. So stage six is the life of love. It's a life marked by peace, or as the Hebrews called it, shalom. So when you get a flat tire, when things are going on around you that are chaotic, when everybody's freaking out, you seem to have this peace about you. I know people like this. Don't you know somebody maybe in the church or somebody growing up who who just seemed to have this life of love marked by peace? There's someone who asks good questions. They're on a journey, right? They're, They're growing, they're learning, and yet they've also learned so much through life. They've seen God's faithfulness through crisis. They've seen how God is going to be on the other side of that wall. That when you work through the wall, he's always there with you in the process and waiting for you on the other side. They've seen his faithfulness. They've seen how if they would simply work through the crisis, God will change them and grow them. So as we talked earlier in Ephesians, we know that it's time for us to grow up. And I want to encourage you, if you've been in the church forever or or just a few weeks, I want to encourage you, God wants you to move forward. He wants you to take a step and to grow up into maturity. And I believe that your maturity will be measured by this one question. How do you answer this question? The question is this, how do you deal with the things you can't deal with? How do you deal with the things you can't deal with? How do you move through those things? Do you avoid them? Do you walk away from them? Do you just kind of hide them and hope they go away? We all know how that works, right? And it may be anything, once again, that is a catalyst for you to deal with some of these deep wounds or or to walk through the crisis. It it might be a car wreck or a medical emergency or a relationship that hits the rocks or a, a failed endeavor or a business decision or a financial decision. It may be a crisis of faith where you realize that what you believed about the Bible wasn't true or wasn't complete or what you believed about God isn't, isn't really who he is or even about the church. But once again, how do you deal with the things that you can't deal with? That's going to determine whether you mature and move forward in your faith as Paul encouraged the church in Ephesus to or whether you stay still or regress in your journey with Jesus and your journey with the church. You see, crisis reveals the authenticity of our faith, doesn't it? It really does. It shows you who you are. My pastor growing up, he used to say it like this. He said, your life is sort of like a roll of toothpaste. He said, when the pressure's on, what's inside comes out, right? And that's really the truth, that when the pressure's on, who we are really does come out. And that's why crisis is so important for us. We need to walk through it. One of the things that we do sometimes is marriage counseling and oftentimes I'll sit down with a young couple and one of the most important questions I ask them is, tell me about your last fight. How do you guys fight? And normally they look at me kind of funny like we're not supposed to fight, right? That fighting's bad, isn't it? And oftentimes they'll say, oh, well, we never fight. And my response to that is always, well, then how are you going to know how to be married? Right? Because we know that with marriage comes disagreement. It comes fighting sometimes. And it's not a question of will you fight, but how will you fight? How do you work through the things that you can't work through? 
How do you move through those things and deal with those things? Because in the fight is where you learn a lot about each other. In the fight is where you exercise your commitment to one another. And in the fight is where you begin to move forward in your relationship. And I believe the same is true for us as believers in Jesus. So in Matthew 13, 24, Jesus is sitting on this beach and he's got all these people all around him. He's got religious people and non-religious people and he's talking to them about the kingdom of God, this different kingdom that's coming for the world. Because in the end, all of our lives will tell the story of whether or not we want to spend an eternity in a kingdom that's focused on God or in a kingdom that's focused on us. And here's what he says in Matthew 13, 24. He says, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seeds in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, the weeds appeared also. And so this is kind of like a good farmer, bad farmer situation. We got the good farmer who plants the wheat, and then some bad farmer comes out of nowhere and they plant weeds in the field. And Jesus tells us clearly what this parable is all about. He says the wheat are true believers, people who actually follow Jesus, and the weeds are actually false believers. And there's this idea that whenever a true believer or some wheat is planted, also there are false believers and uh, weeds that are planted in the field. And when it says they came up, the literal translation of this in the Greek is produced fruit. So when these, these seeds came up, they, they produced fruit, which means that you don't really know who someone is until there's some fruit involved, right? You don't really know until it's tested, until the person is tested. And that's when you begin to know who someone is. And see, every crisis produces fruit in our lives. Every crisis causes us to show our true selves. And sometimes, if you're like me, it's not as pretty as I'd like it to be. It's not who I want to be. And it reveals to me how I need to grow and how I need to change. And so then the servants ask, verse 27, Master, Did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, an enemy has done this. So an enemy planted the the weeds in the field. Once again, we have this enemy who is sowing false seeds in the field, essentially planting these people who say they're believers in Jesus, say that they are Christians, say that they love God, but they're actually false believers. I would say this, that the greatest enemy for the Western church is not unbelief, but it's false belief. It's actually the scariest thing about living in that 20% that doesn't experience persecution is that it's so easy to simply say that we are Christians. About 75% of people in the U.S. would say, I'm a Christian. I don't know what else I would be, so I would say that I'm I'm a Christian, which can lead to a lot of false belief in the world. C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says, There is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. And I believe Satan's tool of choice is pride. It's pride. It's what keeps us from actually looking at ourselves and and considering the reality that we may be weeds. (laughs) And, And you didn't want to hear that at church today. I'm sure you didn't. 
But, but we have to realize that some of us are not truly followers of Jesus. And honestly, we don't know that until we encounter a crisis, until we're given a decision, until we have to choose. Will we surrender to Jesus or will we follow our own way and our own path? I ask this question sometimes as a pastor because I realize that we are doing church in this culture that it's really easy to call yourself a believer in Jesus. And and as a pastor, I always wonder a few things. First, what would it take to stop you from telling others about Jesus? I mean, that's a great way to, to kind of create a personal crisis, right? Like what would it take to stop you from telling others about, about Jesus. Another question I think of is, what would it take to stop you from coming to church, right? Another personal crisis. Uh, you probably experienced this this morning, right? Something came up and challenged your attendance at church today, which again, doesn't say everything about who you are as a believer. A lot of people love Jesus and miss church, right? We all do that. And yet at the same time, if we're not willing to, to, to work our way into community and to push through the challenges that are going to come at us to be in a family, then I wonder how much do we really love the family of God? How much do we really love the church that is called the bride of Christ? Because Jesus loves the family of God. Uh, it was interesting. I was thinking about this this week that, you know, during the time of the early church that initially Sunday morning was when they would gather, but Sunday was also a work day. And it wasn't until the time of Constantine that Sunday was actually considered a day off and a a holy day for people to spend in worship. So here's what that meant. That to come to church, to gather with people together on, on a Sunday morning meant that you had to probably do it before work. It meant that you were probably up 4.30 in the morning, 5.30 in the morning. You gathered together with other believers. You took communion. You prayed together. You opened the scriptures together. And then you went to work. And so I was thinking, what if we just moved all of our services to to 4.30 a.m. on Monday morning? How much would that affect our church? How much would that affect our church attendance, right? What would it take to keep you from the family of God? What would it take to keep you from talking to others about Jesus? What would it take to keep you from serving and giving to the mission of God? And here's why this matters. If you're like, why does this matter, Brian? It matters because what's planted in our hearts will reveal itself as fruit in our lives. And and the answer you have to these questions will begin to identify how much we really want to follow Jesus. Uh, This is a crisis for all of us to kind of work through is what would it take to stop you when it comes to your faith? And and if the reality is it's not that much, then we have to identify the reality that we may not be wheat in the field. field. We may be weeds in the field. And so then the servants ask, they say, should we go pull the weeds? And the answer is no, because you'll pull the wheat and the weeds, which fits perfectly with our last series, all about judgment, that when it comes to our own judgment, we don't really know who's a true believer in Jesus and who is not. We actually have to trust Jesus in that. Our job is not to pull the weeds. Listen, our job is to plant the truth. It's to share what's true. It's to share what is good. It's to encourage people to walk through the crisis, walk through those difficult questions of faith. And here's what he says in verse 30. He says, let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. You see, there's going to be this final moment where we stand before God and what our lives produced, 
what came up in our lives, the fruit of our lives will be exposed before God himself. And in that moment, it's either going to be a crisis or Jesus is going to say, come into my house, welcome into my home, my good and faithful servant. And the only way that you get through this moment is by grace. And grace is how we stay faithful when we're going through a crisis. It's how we move through the wall and still love others and love Jesus. And it's how we move our lives into that season of sacrificial love, a life of love, which is where we all want to move. And so for you today, I want you to identify where am I at in my journey with Jesus? What stage am I in and what's my next step? And also now in your hand is a tool that you can use with anybody else in your life to help them to figure out how to move forward in their faith or in their journey with the church. So if you're honest today and you're like, yeah, Brian, the crisis has kept me from Jesus. I've encountered a wall, but I haven't moved through the wall. As you ask those questions about what would it take for me to not talk about Jesus or, or not share my faith or not serve or not give, the answer is it wouldn't take much. If that's you here today, I want to encourage you with this. This is 1 Peter 2.9. It says, but you are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him to tell others of the night and day difference he made for you from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. So wherever you are, no matter what you've come through or what you've done, know this, Jesus wants to accept you today. He wants to welcome you into his family today. If your faith hasn't honestly been real, he's ready for you to walk into faith with him today, to make that decision, to surrender your life through the crisis, through the challenge, and take up a new way of seeing your life and of seeing the world. And so you have a roadmap on how to move forward. And so today I wanna to encourage you to move forward from here. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for your grace. Thank you that you meet us where we are. And God, thank you that you love us even in the crisis. God, even when we've abandoned you or ignored you or chosen to walk away from you. God, for some of us, the fruit is there and we live lives of, of selfless love and we want to do that more and we want you to teach us how to love better. God, for others of us, I know that the reality is our faith isn't real, that we are weeds in a field of wheat. God, I know that some of us have worked through our crisis and we've shown selfless love to the church and to you. And while there's some people in this room today that, God, are honestly uh, weeds in a wheat field, Father, would you in your gracious, loving, compassionate way convict us? Show us who we are and show us our next step. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for watching this message from ACF Church. Uh, we hope it's encouraged you and challenged you to be more like Jesus and to walk with Him in a closer and more profound way. If you'd like to give to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so at the link on the screen or at acfak.org. We love you and we'll see you next week.